As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The race is on. And we had a new car launch double today with both Mercedes and McLaren revealing their 2024 challengers and shaking them down at Silverstone. But has Mercedes done enough to make its ground effect regs struggles a thing of the past? And can the McLaren MCL 38 take the team from podium regular to winner? I'm Ed Straw and joining me to answer those questions are Mark Hughes and Gary Anderson. Well, Mark, as ever, lots to go through today, so we'll dive straight into it. The Mercedes W15 arguably the most eagerly awaited car so how convincing a step do you think it's made from what you've seen oh hard to know what it's going to be how the step and performance is going to be like but we're always optimistic you know for the sake of a a closer championship but um, in terms of the the step in appearance it's uh, it is quite significant It, um, it it's a very different looking profile to the old car it's um you know it's it's got the the, the cockpit further back, it, it, it just looks a much sleeker, um, you know, the, it's got a more pleasing balance to it visually. Um, and it's, it gives all sorts of suggestions that um, the, the, the team has really sort of gone up on it. You know, although it's, it's done a new path, it's, it looks like it's gone quite a long way down this other path. Um but yeah, it's, it's appearance gives you hope, I guess. Let, let's let's put it that way. And I guess it's a contrast to last year, isn't it? When everyone thought, ah, it's basically the same car concept. Not much has changed. And that proved to be uh, not quite aggressive enough, as the team has admitted. But obviously, Gary, they've talked a lot about big changes, fundamental changes, trying to stabilise the, the rear axle a bit, spiteful rear axle, as James Allison says it's been. So what we can say is it does look like they've taken positive action to get these things changed. And, and that in, in as much as we assume that it makes sense and it works, that is a positive, isn't it? Yeah, I think he could put it that nobody, even uh, including racing drivers, like getting bitten in the bum. And that's what a spiteful rear axle might do to you. Um, but yes, I mean, uh, as Mark says, visually it's very different, but visually it's very different good. It, uh, it does look a much more um, package than what I've seen over the last couple of years with them. I mean, the first year the car looked excellent because of the zero side pods as we called it so on and so forth it was just very little cross-section very small cross-sectional area unfortunately the uh 
the sort of uh, flow structure around that very small cross-sectional area didn't help the floor to work um, work consistently. So it was, you know, it, it created its own problems. Um, and now, obviously, as time has gone by, um, they have developed the car into something that looks more visually similar to the Red Bull, even though it's still quite different. But now they've had the opportunity to do the new gearbox, um, rear suspension, get the anti-lift on the rear end, blah, blah, blah. It's now, you know, they've, they've got the package there now that uh, suspension-wise they can control the aero platform. And now they've just got to come up with the aero platform that will allow the drivers to make best use and consistent use of the car. Yeah, and certainly we're not expecting miracles from it. What they need is a car that doesn't have fundamental limitations, doesn't confuse them, and they can develop through because this, of course, is the basis for the 25 car uh, as well. And I guess, Mark, there's a lot at stake here, isn't there, for Mercedes because there's further question marks by the fact Lewis Hamilton has decided he's moving away to Ferrari. So this year really is one where Mercedes have to get it reasonably right again, not necessarily winning the championship or anything, but they need to show they've really understood the fine detail of these cars and not just gone in the direction everyone else has gone and not really understood it. It's an important season for them, yeah, because, you know, you you, you talk about the, 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 the great teams and the great um, empires coming to an end and, and they, they just sort, sort of tend to historically just start to lose a bit of energy and people disperse and go elsewhere and tempted by the big money uh, that, that they've, they, their success has commanded um, and looking for new challenges and you know which uh, is only it's natural and understandable and that includes Lewis Hamilton of course so to sort of put a line under the last couple of years and you know get a good solid foundation in place to start you know, rebuilding again, I think, is, is very important. And this this, this season sh- is a, a, a very big test of that. So um, I think there's reasons to for, for the people there to be um, optimistic, but cautiously optimistic. Um, and it's, I, I get a sense that they did get a fundamental understanding of what they'd not understood before, like, sort of partway through last year, um, with when they upgraded the car at um, the, at Monaco, and then the, the, we saw another big step in performance in, in the, with the Austin upgrade. So that it, it was sort of saying that they did seem to have a handle on what they'd got wrong, but were hemmed in by what they'd designed. Um, so hopefully this is the um, embodiment of that new understanding, and and hopefully they have um, they have got it basically fundamentally right and we'll be looking at the car in good detail in a moment gary but just generally obviously one of the big subplots is the fact lewis hamilton's off there's a lot of talk about what difference that will make inside the team in your experience does that make tangible difference or do you think everyone will just have reconciled themselves to it and they'll be getting on with it and other than the risk he might trail off a bit at the end of the season if the car's not going as hoped do you think it'll just settle into being a normal year well, my experience was teams was a bit different because we were always changing them to see who got more money for the next season. But that's that's not the case with Mercedes and Lewis, obviously. I think six in a season was the record, wasn't it, for, uh, for yeah, Jordan? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good, but none of them had any money, really. Um, no, it's one of these things. I mean, to be honest, you know, Mercedes is Mercedes will be out to prove to Lewis that he's done the wrong thing. Um, so 
that's obviously something that will motivate them a bit because, you know, at the end of the day, they have to work together. I would see it dwindling off a bit by mid-season as far as, well, maybe you might call information or talking about the future, uh, talking about where the 26 car is heading for because, you know, they'll be starting to think quite so, quite strongly about that. And that's the sort of thing you would discuss with your potential championship winning driver, which obviously Lewis Hamilton is. Um, but that, that, that won't happen now. So does that hurt Mercedes um, a little bit because they're not having that that bouncing block to put things forward to for the new car? Um, they, they, they will have George Russell, and obviously George is a very competent driver, but he hasn't you know, got whatever it is, seven world championships behind him. He hasn't won the races that Lewis has. So, you know, he does, He hasn't been through all the scenarios that Lewis has been through. So I think that might, second half of this year, might start to hurt um, Mercedes a little bit in the, for future planning. But I think for initially they'll just get their head down, all of them, for the first half of the year and just try to get the best out of it they can. And on the way there, as I say, try to prove to Lewis that he's, uh, he's signed the wrong contract for, for 25 and 26 and so on. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting year. Fireworks are going to be... Um, Fireworks are going to be within the garage and on the track, I think. Yeah, it's another one of those complicating factors. If things don't go well, things might get a little bit uh, lively. But so far, it's been a, a quiet start. They've been definitely trying to manage expectations. It was a, a relaxed launch. They did a, a quick video that went out on YouTube and various places showing the car with the drivers and Toto Wolf. And then they hit the track at Silverstone, did their filming day. There's been a few images come out from that. But yeah, it's very much a, a relaxed launch from uh, Mercedes, who haven't put up anybody to talk to the media for this one they want to focus on getting on with things we'll get to the car in detail in a minute but if you have any questions on any of the car launches we've seen so far or any that are coming up this week we'll be doing a special car launches q a podcast exclusively for members on friday if you'd like to ask a question and indeed listen to that podcast you need to join the race members club and what better time to do it because we have an amazing offer for a limited period we're offering a one-month free trial membership. That means you can enjoy everything the Race Members Club has to offer, including exclusive members-only podcasts, early access to bring back V10's episodes, a reduced ad environment on the website, exclusive access to the race.com comments section, member discounts, and much more, all before we take any money from you. And then after your free month, it'll cost you just £2.99 a month to remain a member, so that's less than the cost of a cup of coffee. So what are you waiting for? Sign up today and enjoy a free month on us. You can find full details of how to join by clicking the link in the description to this episode. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Right, let's get into detail now, Gary. You were quietly impressed with the Mercedes W15. So what grabbed your attention first with this car? 
Well, it's just overall, the car has gone in a direction that if I was sort of pushing things, I would, I'd be trying to push, you know, I can only, I can only relate design to my, to my thought pattern. I mean, whenever you've designed racing cars or you've done anything like this, you never stop thinking about the next step. Now, you know, the nose detail with the, the shorter nose and the, 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 forward element being separated from the nose to allow that slot gap to get more airflow through to the front of the floor positive in my book we got a bit confused with uh, you know initial sh- initial renders of the front wing and then what without it Silverstone's a bit different but they've, they've thought about that a little bit and I'd have to say I'm not I'm not quite sure where it'll all end up um, again looking at it you know the, 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 the car at Silverstone had this sort of round tube um continuation of the, the the fourth flap I suppose you might call it where it stopped short and there was a gap to the nose maybe you know 15 centimeters or something so um they connected that with this which looks like just a piece of round tube to be honest bent to the profile of the wing and that's that's as far as I can read that's to comply with the regulations you're not allowed to see the the trailing edge of anything but the most rearward flap um from above and you have to be able to see the trailing edge of all of the flaps from below. So the fact that outboard of that 15 centimetres, they have four flaps, defines that the wing has got four flaps. So this round, this round chip could be argued as being a continuation of that fourth flap. It might not be changing the airflow, and that's probably why they've done it, because they were trying to get the, the front wing elements and the flow coming off the front wing elements to be more sympathetic to the underfloor. But again, it's something that we'll have to sort of look at a little bit more and, and try and scratch our head a little bit more to see why. Um, it's a little bit of a strange thing, but by being a sort of round tube, it doesn't have really much of a flow effect on the airflow. You know, a round tube, it's, it's, it doesn't matter which way the air is coming at it, it'll still sort of find its own way around it and come off the back of it somehow. It's not as nice as an aerodynamic profile, but an aerodynamic profile has to be set at the right angle uh, to suit a certain flow regime and obviously that angle's changing as, as the wing as the front wing works and loads up more and more so yeah it might be it might be a solution to a, a, um, a small problem but it's not something that I would get excited about that it's a, a groundbreaker by any means well it's an interesting one because obviously some people have been getting excited about it because it's so visually obvious what did you make of it Mark any concerns about legality flexing and do you do you think it's just some clever way to get better airflow to the front of the car? Do you think Mercedes deserves some credit for some innovation, or is it just a bit of a red herring? Well, I think in terms of uh, legality, Gary's just explained it all. Um, in w- when we see it in action, yeah, they'll obviously be uh, they'll have to satisfy um, everyone that it's it's not flexing ex- excessively. Um, but that's I'm, I'm sure they won't have uh, um, just done it on a. A wing and a prayer and a, and a hope. I'm, I'm sure it's probably been fully fully researched. And uh, yeah, it, the whole thing about these cars is getting getting a, a, an adequate flow to that really really powerful underfloor, um, but also getting the the flow to go around the floor and then meet up again at the back, which further boosts the power of the underfloor so it you know it, it's all starting there it's all it's, it's, you know, as gary's often said it all starts at the front wing because that's that's what the air sees first so yeah it's it makes logical sense looking at it what, what we've done and it's a little bit different and it, it just reflects 
um, uh, you know, the, the fact that they're they're thinking about things themselves and not just copying what, what what's happened elsewhere already. And I think we see that also with the the way they've done the radiator inlet. It's very different to um, the the, the bodywork around that. It's quite different to what what we've seen on other cars. Um, yet totally different from what they've done in the last couple of years. And uh, that and the, the fact that they've moved the cockpit a little bit further back by about ten centimeters, we understand. And you know, changing the suspension at the rear, the, the to the push rod, tidying up the front suspension that they did, they did with the the upgrade last year. They put a bit of more anti dive in it, but it was you know you could tell it was a, a modification. This this one's you know it looks properly designed and it looks a lot neater. So yeah, all those things together, it just makes the whole thing look a, a very a very smooth bit of work. Yeah, the one the interesting thing for me on that front wing is that they went to the so the time expense of actually creating the renders to not show it. Um, and that's sort of an indication that they think, they, they might just think it's one of their little secret weapons. Um, obviously getting more from it than they wanted to make public um, initially. But uh, but yeah, it's just it's just one of those things. Now, you, you're saying there, Mark, about the, uh, the radiator inlet and they've gone sort of own way on it. I, I do agree. But, you know, they would really have had to eat a lot of humble pie if they were just to copy the Red Bull. So I would have thought that they would have looked, you know, the, 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 the design philosophy of the radiator intake is not vastly different from the Red Bull, um, and it's quite different from what they've had in the past. Uh, it's, it's slightly changed, but um, I don't think taking some of the, the flow off the side of the monocoque into the radiator duct, the deeper flow off the side of the monocoque into the radiator duct is actually doing that much harm, because we have seen in years uh, quite a few cars and teams that have had some sort of dive plane system on the, on the side of the monocoque there to to try and pick up that flow and move it in certain directions. And their lower radiator inlet um, does part of that. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's different. And it does uh, look like obvious, well, fairly obviously, in terms of the side body approach, they've gone with a more aggressive undercut. That's sort of the Red Bull direction. Work the front corner of the floor a little bit harder. So that's pretty much in the direction you'd have expected i'd have thought gary yeah i mean that's the important thing is you know, that flow coming in around the front tire and uh, and through the gap between the the chassis and the front wheel you want to want to direct that somewhere and and make it work that front corner of the floor a bit harder because if you just allow all the flow to go in underneath the floor the volume is too big for the size of the diffuser so you just can't accelerate that flow so you have to get rid of some of it and you have to get rid of some of it efficiently and the best way to do that efficiently is to bring it out in behind the front the front wheel, and then the the you know you're you're sort of like a third of the a third of the width of the uh, the front the leading edge of the floor is actually feeding the diffuser, and because of that, that means the diffuser is big enough to actually increase the speed of that flow underneath the car and and increase the downforce, and that's important. It's the balance of sort of payments of how much goes in and how much can can, can come out. You know, if you had a a diffuser that was fifty percent bigger, you would you would welcome more air in the leading edge of the floor, but because you haven't, you know, the, the size is restricted, and as we can see by every car, the, the diffuser is used to its maximum, maximum height and maximum width, and even the, you know the beam wing is now playing an integral part in in the size of that diffuser as a, as a sort of turning vein above the the diffuser. So, the the balance of payments, as I say, between the, what you turn out the, out of the front of the corner of the car 
with the splitters that's in the leading edge of it um, relative to what the diffuser works in the middle of the of the underfloor is quite is quite a challenge. And you'll see the splitters moving around, getting bigger, get smaller, all of that stuff. That's just trying to move a little bit differently in a slightly different direction. So, um, yeah, it's it's never you're never quite finished. I think every time you would go into one tunnel, you would find a different solution to a different curvature of splitter or a, that that little ramp that we see at the outside of the front corner. You know the the curvature of that or the position of the splitters. You, you can't go on forever, but you would love to go on forever because you will always find a little bit more out of it. And how about, Mark, the monocoque change? The cockpit is a little bit further rearward. Obviously, Lewis Hamilton has been calling for that for a while because he felt that he was sitting too far forward and that meant the rear end feel wasn't so good. But it's not necessarily for that reason, even though that's the high profile uh, version of, of that. Obviously, as James Allison told us at the back end of last year, that's not the first order problem. Yeah, I mean, Lewis feels that um, he's feeling the back end of the car too late. And given that it was a nervous back end anyway, that was the last thing he needed and that he felt he wanted to be as close to that axle as, as he could be so that he was feeling it as early as possible. But, you know, if they've tamed it and they've moved it back, um, we can assume he'll, he'll be get, he should be getting a better, a better feel for what the car is doing. Um, as for the reasons have changed it, it, it'll all just depend on where they've worked out what they need to do with the the aero platform where it needs to be where the the, the aero map needs to be in terms of ride heights where, where the downforce is how it's spread at the different speeds of the car at different ride heights at different pitches and dive and roll and that's what will drive then where you need to have your you know your your your, your major um, surfaces and and how what what the geometry of them is, so this this is from a a total rethink of of how how you go about doing that. Um, but I think at the same time, it will have given them um, at least stop Lewis from um, feeling he's not being listened to. And obviously, Gary, the other thing, as we talked about on the Aston Martin podcast, the switch to the pushrod configuration at the rear. So they're trying to create a lot more aerodynamic opportunity at the back of the car. We knew that was coming. That, I guess, was a fairly obvious move, not least because we've already seen it. But that that's key, isn't it, to making that rear end more consistent and stable for them? Yeah, it's not It's not just quite so much the pushrod itself, but the anti-lift on the rear suspension because, you know, Again, it's as Mark was saying, it's the, the, the nervous rear end. You know, just, just going back to what Mark was saying there about the cockpit position, you know, what the, the thing with these cars is when you drive them, um, you, you, you arrive at the corner, you turn the steering wheel, and, you, and immediately you can build up the slip angle on the front tyre because you can turn the steering wheel as to what level you want or need to. So the front tyre grips and then the, the rear starts to rotate. And it takes a little bit of that rotation for the rear, before the rear builds up the slip angle and gets the maximum grip out of the tyre. And that's the bit that I think Lewis was complaining about not feeling. Um, you know, just didn't feel when the rear was actually gripping. It's a bit like if you sat completely in the front axle, you wouldn't feel the rear at all. So by, by getting the right position to sit in it, it's a, it's a balancing act between the, the front, feeling the front tyre load up and then feeling the rear tyre load up. Um, but so going back to the, to the rear suspension, that again is uh, that feeling of the rear is highlighted by the fact the car, whenever you brake, you transfer a lot of the, the weight uh, onto the front wheels um, and you can't stop that. So the rear wants to sort of unload itself. And if the rear of the car is coming up, you're also losing downforce. 
So that's a double whammy. You know, you're transferring weight on the front axle from the rear axle and you're losing downforce at the same time. So you've got to try and keep the rear of the car low. So you try and, the only tool you've got is to do that, to, to try and keep the downforce there. Um, so the, the the main thing is putting that anti, anti-lift on the rear suspension. And by going to the pushrod system, they can also make the, you know, that lower part of the gearbox narrower so in effect they're actually getting a wider diffuser because as I say the diffuser overall width and height is defined in the regulations so the only way you can do is to make that sort of pod that goes around the gearbox the back of the engine the gearbox the rear crash structure etc make that as narrow as possible so in effect you know the diffuser goes right across the car um, as opposed to being split by this pod and as I say if the suspension's in there as well that pod is wider that pod is bigger so you, in theory, you're actually making the diffuser smaller. So it's it's all a part of a package, really, that, that is about trying to maximise the diffuser and keep the lower, the car the rear of the car lower when you hit the brake pedal, and keep the aerodynamic stability as as you can, best you can. Yeah, absolutely. All in search of a car with a better, more controllable aerodynamic uh, mechanical platform, rather, and a more effective car aerodynamically, a more consistent car aerodynamically. So sounds easy on on paper, but it does seem overall, Gary, that especially with all the other little details they've got, little changes on the rear wing, that kind of thing, it, it looks like a nicely refined version of this concept as well, doesn't it? So just the pure visuals are a tick, aren't they? Yeah, they are a tick. And I think if you went through the car from front to back, you'd say, yep, 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 I thought about that, yep, yep, all the way. My My concern my only concern at this point in time and again i haven't seen it in detail yet maybe we'll see someone at the barry and test a bit closer but the 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 rear pushrod angle i'm a big i'm a big um i'm a big worrier about pushrod angles and pullrod angles because it's uh, it's all relative to loads um the rear pushrod angle looks very shallow and that's you know part of the part and package of how you package it for your aerodynamics um, because you want to get the minimum blockage you can if possible through that rear suspension, but it's um, it's it's difficult because I can't quite see where the the rear pushrod outboard end anchors onto the upright assembly or the wishbone, and we saw it with the Aston Martin how shallow it was, and I didn't quite believe it then because I thought oh, maybe it's maybe it's just an optical illusion, but I think again on the Mercedes it, it looks very shallow. I don't know whether they've got some mechanism within the the upright assembly that's that's you know, able to drive the push rod better because of that. But um, it would be my, my biggest worry is that it's it's very high loads. Now, all those can be accounted for. But still, you know, when you're putting loads like that into the extra loads like that into the push rod or the bottom wishbone, you need to be very careful because everything everything just gets worked that bit harder. Um, but I think going through the car aerodynamically, visually, um the whole sort of package to me from front to back is now makes much more logic than it did for the last two seasons. And I think that will be, you know, that will be beneficial. But again, it's the underfloor that really will create the downforce and the stability of downforce. The mechanical side of the car can only control that, but the, the underfloor is the big thing. And we obviously get no chance to see that unless you have Sergio Perez driving for you or whatever. Um, and you get to lift it up on a crane. Um, but maybe maybe we will see it somewhere along te- long line of testing or whatever. We don't know, but it'd be interesting to see because I know the Red Bull underfloor is a a very complicated piece of kit. 
You see, you give me the idea there that when we get to Bahrain, Gary, I'll try and hire you a crane and you can see if you can cause some <laughs> mischief. I certainly know if we gave you the opportunity, you'd make the, make the most of it. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting car to look at. A drive over manhole, maybe dug in the end of the pit lane would be quite good. And we can all go down there and have a look at what we want to look at. And the, the cars have to drive over it to go out to the track. <laughs> all the best perspectives. That's what we'll be aiming to bring everyone following the race when we get out there. But yeah, the Mercedes is going to be one of the most interesting cars to take a look at in testing. We'll get back to the pod in a moment. But first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Let's move on to McLaren now. Mark, potentially the best place to challenge Red Bull this year after the progress that was made in 2023. Any surprises from the MCL 38, given we were expecting an evolutionary car? Well, it is clearly an evolutionary car, but I, I quite like that because of the progress they were making with it. And it was, you know, sort of very linear once they got that big Austria upgrade on it. And uh, yeah, this is a bit more of the same, but you can see where they've really changed the hard points that they were li- limiting them before um they've interestingly they've um they've scooped a bit more out of the, the front of the side pod and uh looks like they've moved some radiator area around because they they now they've exposed the upper cis bar uh which which previously a mercedes only trick um and uh yeah, they 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 seem to be using that to help the the flow over the top of the side pod. So uh, that's quite interesting. And yeah, I think you, you when when you you listen to what what sort of things were limiting lim, giving them their limits last year, which was uh, especially evident on slow corners. They've obviously um, worked out you know where they where they want to go with how its downforce is distributed you know along along the floor and at what what's what speeds and angles and all those things so um you get a sense from talking to andrea stella that it's they're very sure in their own direction and they they they're just following it to its logical conclusion and they give very encouraging sounds about what they're seeing 
in in the wind tunnel in simulation uh, of, of what it's giving them and and there's more to come as well i think yeah, well, Andrea Stella was talking about the fact they'll have some upgrades coming early in the season. That's the case for everyone, pretty much. He did say in their, their launch press release that not all areas have they completely done as they wanted to, and that'll be coming in. He was asked not long ago about what areas, and he said, well, nothing specific, relatively general, but impacts aero-mechanical and the interaction with tyres. So that was a good specific answer there. But <laughs> That's the whole car, then. That's just everything, isn't exactly. it? That's just, generally, we'll look at the whole car and make it a bit better. But what it does say is that they do have a, a development path and obviously the car that you see that's been made is a little bit behind where it is in the wind tunnel with the design work. So they've still got a direction. They've talked about the fact that it's still producing fruitful gains in the wind tunnel. They spoke about that in January. We talked about that on the podcast before. But Gary, looking at the car in a bit more detail, what struck you about it? I think they've put a major amount of their winter effort into the mechanical control of the platform as opposed to really get super excited about them about the aerodynamics, because you know we know the nose is a bolt-on component, front wing's a bolt-on component, the underfloor's a bolt-on component, as is the rear wing. So those are the, the parameters that you can leave yourself um, quite late in the day to sort of finalise. Um, they're big parameters, but you can spend more time aerodynamically researching it. But to, you know, whenever you've got to build a new chassis, it's things like the suspension layout, um, the the wishbone pickup points, the gearbox, wishbone pickup points, what the suspension is going to be like, you know, uh, as far as a package is concerned, you've got to commit to all that a long, long time ago. And again, with the, the upper uh, cis bar side impact structure, um, I'm, I'm not a big lover in leaving it, you know, having it external because it's just an extra thing, an extra surface, and you're sort of getting a little bit committed to it. But at the end of the day, if you can use it for something, then fine. It's one of those sort of situations. It's the one thing, I suppose, on the McLaren that I would look at and say, I don't quite know why they would have changed the radiator duct inlet shape to the to the shape they have. Um, now, in saying that, it looks as though it's further rearward because the cis bar is sticking out the front of it as such. Um, so they've moved the, the, the inlet rearward, but that still doesn't, in my book, control this spillage. I'm a big believer in, in what you do with this spillage because it's, it happens. It happens whether you like it or whether you don't. And the more important thing is to give it somewhere to go. And, you know, it's it's one of those sort of situations where um, the, the Red Bull's radiator inlet solution to me was, was good because it removed that top section of the side pod, which normally, when the air is being accelerated over the top of that surface, you get lift on it, which is negative to, to the grip level of the car. And it made a hole in it so that basically, you know, as long as you could turn the airflow over the top of the lower leading edge of that inlet, uh, you got good radiator flow. But the minute you got the blockage, it just it just got spilled over the top surface. So it was neat and tidy solution to a, a you know a problem that every team has. Um, so that would be my only negative on the car. But I think the most important thing is, as I say, that they they've gone all out for the platform control. Um, and once you get that, then it, it'll bring you a slightly different. Once you get that and start running on the track. It'll bring, it'll bring you a slightly different direction in your aerodynamic development because obviously if the car is being controlled more, you can, you know, you can extract more from it for a, for a wider window. So um, I think they've done the right thing in what they've done, but I'm not seeing it as a step forward with the car that we've seen so far. I don't think the car we've seen so far will be exactly the same by the time we hit Bahrain, but um, we'll wait and see what we see there. But I'm sure there'll be other things on it, including the floor detail. 
um, by the time we get to Bahrain. Yeah, they've certainly been deliberately hiding a few details as well in what we've seen so far. Both this car and the Mercedes have run at Silverstone today, but yeah, we've not seen all, certainly. So again, we'll wait till we get to Bahrain next week for that. But Mark, there is an interesting question, maybe two questions really with this team, in that they did have a few fundamental weaknesses that have actually been quite persistent and in some ways stretch back to before this rule cycle in terms of the slow corner performance being a little bit of a problem and the traction as well as part of that out of slow corners and also the slightly peculiar as I think Daniel Ricciardo put it handling which is down to the fact the car is quite knife edge that's a phrase that Lando Norris has used so I guess that's the big question is has have they done enough to really understand and fix that Andrea Stella told us at the back end of last year they did have good ideas in that direction but that that for me is the big unknown yeah it, it, it is it's it's been there as you say all the way through like a like a thread even when the car's been very quick overall its weak points have still been slow corner um and that that overlap of of, of breaking and cornering in, into slow corners on um, medium and slow speed corners so uh the other weakness it had was that uh it wasn't gaining very much as much as other cars from uh, DRS. So it's it quite competitive in the non-DRS part in terms of straight line speed, but it didn't gain as much as the top cars when you use DRS. And they, they have introduced a, a new family of wings, and um, they, they, they've obviously put that high on their, their priority list of things to do. So, yeah, obviously we, we can't tell at this stage, but... Um, I think the fact that that's something that they've been chasing and that's something that they've targeted should at least give us hope that the progress and the deficit to the front will continue to fall. And it didn't need, it's a couple of times last late last year, we didn't need to close up very much and it would suddenly have been, would suddenly have been in there fighting for the win. So, yeah, I'm as with Mercedes, sort of cautiously optimistic that um, we might be seeing something from them this year. Gary, what do you make of it when a team has a few little difficulties like that, particularly the persistent ones? The DRS one seems a bit more this rule cycle specific because they were pretty good under previous uh, rules on that. But when you have those problems that hang around that definitely seem to be team-specific rather than car concept-specific, how difficult is it to get on top of those and how worried would you be about them? Well, you only learn something if you can recognise your problem. And, you know, you say about this DRS situation with these this set of rules, the old set of rules, basically the, the, the upper wing and the and the diffuser didn't really connect together. You know, they were separate entities and because the diffuser was such a feeble piece of kit. Um, and so, you know, you need to buy into the fact that, that you need to make that whole back end of the car work together to get the, 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 the drag loss that you would get if you could stole the whole back of the car or make it work less, basically. Um, so that's, you know, that's not, to me, that's not a major problem. It's, a, it's just a different way of thinking. The low speed, high speed downforce thing is a slightly different problem because, you know, whenever you get to low speed, sort of the mechanical influence of the car becomes quite an important thing. But still, you know, if you take a racing car and you, you know, adjust the front wing, for example, put a bit of front wing on the car, a couple of degrees or whatever it be the driver will always make big comments about the low speed front grip being better um but obviously at high speed the, the car will be oversteery so it's not always ne- necessarily a benefit so you've got to really identify as a team how you can generate 
high ride height downforce because when the car's going slow, it's further away from the ground. Um, and when the car, car goes faster, because of the loads building up, it pushes the car to the ground. And that's the thing you got to identify is, is your low speed to high speed downforce range and what generates low speed downforce but doesn't make the car critical at high speed. So, you know, that that's a different task. The DRS thing, I think, is quite simple. It's just a bit buying into the fact that it's the whole back end of the car. But the low speed, high speed downforce thing is a, is a whole different kettle of fish. And it's one of those sort of things where you need to be able to build in to the car um, downforce-wise areas of potential separation on the, on the underfloor when the car starts going faster to allow you to have that low-speed grip but not have, get into porpoising, bouncing and, and a nervous car at high speed. So it's a slightly different, slightly different way of looking at things, but it's you know nothing's impossible as we can see. Cars, cars are good and cars are bad. And sometimes we even see the same car very good and, and very bad. You know, I think Austin last year, Lewis Hamilton reckoned the Mercedes is the best car I'd ever driven. And yet a race later, it was the worst car I'd ever driven. And basically it was the same car. So, you know, those things can switch around quite quickly just from a little bit of a setup change. So, um, but as a team, you know, you, you need to look at the problem and, you know, you, you never do things badly that you know what you're, when you know what you're doing. Um, but the things that you don't know what you're doing, you know, that you do make mistakes on, and that's probably the area that that McLaren need to look a bit deeper. They need to research and to a different level to identify this low speed to high speed characteristic of aerodynamics. Yeah, that's going to be the big question. I imagine that's one of the things the drivers were really keen to feel when they had a go in the car today at Silverstone. But it's going to be really interesting to see how both of these teams go. You can read Gary's in-depth analysis of those cars on the race website. Pretty much should be there as soon as you've downloaded this podcast. So thanks very much to Gary and Mark for your insight. Head to therace.com. Don't forget the hyphen. Plenty to read there from the world of F1. Check out our other podcasts, including Bring Back V10s, the Race F1 Tech Show with Gary Anderson, of course, our Formula E, MotoGP and IndyCar podcast. Check out our YouTube channel as well, long and short form videos there. Well, we've got Red Bull tomorrow, so stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic.